You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. How is everybody? Good. All right. So I thought it would be fun for the thing that I will give away today it's to do an Olive Garden gift card. Uh, if you're wondering, well, what is all the, what's all that about? We started a sermon series three weeks ago. I think this is the third week titled Songs. Each uh, week we will look at a, a popular song that, that people are listening to. The, 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 the criteria for me to select those songs had to, be, had to be written or released during the pandemic. And so uh, that's what this whole series is about. And we look at how the Psalms, uh, in this case Psalm 66, speaks into the message of said song. And so in this case we're looking at John Bastille's song, uh, I Need You, which I'll show you the music video in a little bit, which is also a good point to make, is that Facebook will shut down the live stream once, you, uh, most likely will shut down the live stream on Facebook once the video starts airing. So if you're watching the live stream from home, go to our church webpage and you can watch the, continue watching the live stream that way and most likely it will not be um, interrupted. So, Olive Garden. I have a $25 gift card to Olive Garden, and the reason why I thought this would be fun to give away is because the song, I Need You, is the background song to one of Olive Garden's commercials. So, how many of you have heard the song, I Need You, or heard the name John Bastille? Okay, so like two more people than the first service. Uh, so here... <laughs> So since Olive Garden re, you know, opened back up again after the pandemic or during the pandemic or whatever, I want to see who is the biggest fan of Olive Garden. So if you have been to Olive Garden since they opened back up at least once, please stand up. All right, so stay standing. If you've been to Olive Garden more than once, um, you know, stay standing. All right, so, all right. So if you've been to Olive Garden uh, three times or more, remain standing. Four times or more, remain standing. I think you won, right? Is there anybody else? Did I miss anybody? All right, so you, are, you like Olive Garden more than any other restaurant in Cheyenne. You get the prize. I like Olive Garden, too. You would have, I know, but yeah, I know you would have won. I think probably the first, first restaurant we were at for lunch was Olive Garden. Jonathan, if you're new here, Jonathan's Italian. He was born in Italy. <laughs> and when we went to Olive Garden, the server was trying to correct Jonathan's Italian. It was funny. <laughs> Jonathan's like, no, that's actually how you say it. I'm like, no, no, you say it this way. Jonathan's like, okay, I'm not going to say anymore. It was funny. All right, the song I Need You uh, is, pro- it, it is the funnest, the most energetic song in the series of the song series. Uh, the way that this song was described is like a warm hug that's needed after 2020. That's what, uh, that's what John Bastille um, said of, of his song. 
And, uh, and I agree. I, it's, a, it's a fun song. I've listened to, well, I've listened to every song more than I'd care to listen to them. Uh, I, I've lost count, but my family's probably tired of hearing these songs. But this is a fun song. And um, one, one person who interviewed uh, Bastille uh, said this of the song, I Need You. It's a song arriving in a time of such extreme social isolation. It is a beacon of hope, heralding a bright future. And so that's, um, I, I mean, I think that's a little overkill in describing the song, but it's definitely a, a fun song. Uh, he grew up, John Bastille grew up Catholic or grew up in a Catholic home. He is surrounded by jazz. He is a jazz musician first and foremost. Uh, and then he's got some songs that, you know, have hit the contemporary you know, uh, pop scene, like I Need You is one of them. Uh, he, in 2016, and he's 33 now, and in 2016, Forbes listed him on the Forbes 30, under 30, uh, as far as uh, an up-and-coming entrepreneurial musician. He is, uh, he was listed, or named as the Grand Marshal of Endymion, I have no idea what that means, but the par uh, parade in New Orleans, that's, you know, that's his home state, is where New Orleans is. His, uh, uh, he was also awarded the American Jazz Museum Lifetime Achievement Award, the ASCAP Humanitarian Award, and the Movado Future Legend Award. And you probably, maybe you don't know any of those things, what they stand for, but all that to say, he's only 33 years old, and he's been highly, he's highly recognized and regarded as as somebody to um, somebody who's had a profound influence in the arts already, he actually said in an interview that he feels like he's at that state of he's where, of maturity where where he's you know able to branch out musically and artistically. Uh, he played. How many of you have seen the movie Soul, Pixar's film Soul? So the the keys, like all the piano, is John Bassey. And the keys are his fingers, animated. And so uh, he won an Academy Award for Best Original Song uh, for, for that film, which I think is pretty neat. He said of his most current album, We Are, which is like the, 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 the song We Are for the title of the album, uh, is really kind of his, his answer to... His role and our role after Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech that he gave before he was assassinated. And so I'd encourage you, you know, the album actually is pretty good. Um, he said this of music. Music has always been something that has had all of the different purposes of our life and our community and our healing and our unspoken pain and the transmission of messages and the raising of awareness of a condition of a people. It's always been in the music. We're just being reintroduced to it in a different cultural context. Now, uh, next week, my mentor, Ed Hardesty, is going to speak. Uh, I, guys, before you leave you know, the building, make sure you sign up for the men's breakfast, which is Saturday. You don't want to miss that. But the week after that, we'll pick up the sermon series. And I want to say that this song, I Need You, and Turntables, which we'll look at in two weeks, I would say they, it's kind of like a two-part sermon series, if I can say that. Like, like, like these two sermons kind of belong together. Um, this one and the one that I'll, 
I'll preach on when we address turntables. Here's what I want to say. John Bastide, I didn't even know this was a thing, uh, participated in the protests against racial injustice, but the way he did it was not by burning down buildings. The way he did it was through music. He had um, like freedom music marches where they would just, or march uh, freedom music parades, like where he just had his, you know, this is them, you know, and they just sing music. He believed that music brings people together and, uh, and I agree. Actually, in our DNA is the, is, is the love of music. And you might be thinking, well, I'm kind of Baptist, or I'm, the, I'm, you know, I'm this, and I don't, I, don't, I don't sing very much, or I don't like to dance. Well, God's going to remedy that when he makes all things new. We, we, we are made to sing. We are, like, music is in our DNA, and also to dance. And so, so he said that of music. He said also, uh, in light of just everything that was happening in our world, he says, the music I've been making is a way to light a way to the truth of who we are and reintroduce, reintroduce us to the depth of who we are. Our ancestors knew so much, sometimes we forget it, or we forget that in such a commodified, capitalistic society where the intention is to make money. There are greater intentions we've harbored in our ideal state over the last centuries. We had, uh, we've had great and wise people who have shown us that our intention and our humanity are higher than we sometimes exhibit. All these relationships have really faltered and gotten to our lower vibration frequencies in current era. He's talking like a musician. In fact, he said of his song, I Need You, is like a vibe cleanse. I don't know about that, but I will say it's fun to watch. Like the music video is fun to watch. It's a fun song. Uh, it is one of the few songs where I don't feel like there's a whole lot to critique about it. So like this whole, the whole thrust of the sermon series is, is to show, like my heart is to show you or to demonstrate for you how we as followers of Jesus don't need to poo-poo everything about culture. That uh, we were, all of us bear the image of the living God. And there are some things that culture, like when, when, when musicians and, and artists or even screenwriters or playwrights, when, when they put something out there to display, um, they might not get the truth nailed down entirely, but there are, there are things there that are redemptive that we can speak into and say, okay, so what you put up on screen or what you put to music are kind of like shadows, but the gospel you know, you know, brings light to, to things that we know are true in our world. And, and some people, especially people who don't know Jesus, just can't put their finger on it. And so uh, I, think, I think in some ways uh, Bastide is right. In fact, the song and video remind me of a final verse in Malachi. In Malachi chapter 4, there are, there's this uh, passage and it, Malachi closes out with these words, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But listen to this, it says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves released from the stall. Like there's a coming a day, the Bible promises us, of where 
where all that is wrong with this world will be made right. God is, is going to make all things new. And when we experience that, when, when that day comes where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, uh, the prophet Malachi says we will be like calves released from the stall. We will dance, right? And we will celebrate and we will sing. Psalm 66 is uh, really a celebration of who God is, this God that we were made to know. And so... Uh, with that being said, what I'm gonna what I'm gonna do now is we'll dim the lights, we'll play the music video, and then we'll get right into uh, Psalm 66.
folks. Now, I think the only thing, critique or qualifier I would say to this song is we were made for something much more than just a relationship with the person sitting next to you or within community. But what he is right about is that we were made for community. That's why it's, it's what I find interesting about this song is that he's like, you know, being shut down uh, the, the, during the, the pandemic when, when everything was closed down and we were told to stay in our homes, that, that's unnatural. That's, we're not made for that. We're, made, we're communal beings. We're, we're made for community. God put that in us. Like there's a reason why when you read Revelation chapter 5, all of heaven is celebrating the lion who is the lamb, Jesus Christ. They're celebrating and every nation is present and they're singing together. And I believe you know, there will be dancing as well. Um, and, and when we read the Psalms, it shouldn't surprise us that the Psalms are just filled with, with uh, reasons for us to celebrate the God of all creation. Like, we were made for joy. That's actually my first point uh, from Psalm 66. We were made for joy. Now, if, if our primary source of joy, and you've heard me say this if you've been coming even for the last month, our primary source of joy, if that is the person sitting next to you, if that is a friend, if that is, if that is a spouse, if that is your child, you, you will be disappointed. Um, we were made for joy, a joy that is rooted in and through a relationship with God. Like we were made for God. We were made to know Him. That is the, the, that is the one note that runs all through the Psalms, from chapter 1 to the, to the final chapter. The God's songbook, the Psalms, is that we were made to know God. And we are wired to express our joy that is rooted in God in the midst of community with, with one another. And so we were made for joy. The first seven verses, we're, we're, we're introduced to that. Shout, we're told in verse one, shout for joy. If you have a Bible, you want to be following along. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. So shout to God, you know, just in, in, in your living room, in front of your TV, or, 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 or is there more? And he said, within community, shout to God, out of the joy of your heart, all the earth, sing the glory of his name, give to him, or give to him glorious praise. C.S. Lewis was once an atheist, and probably many of you already know that. He wrote Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, he, wrote a, he wrote a bunch of children's books. He also wrote a bunch of books. And uh, he was also a theologian, and I think also uh, an apologist for the Christian faith. But before that, he was an atheist. And the one thing that he struggled with is that every time he read, through the, read the Psalms, it, it seemed to him that God was like an old lady seeking compliments for herself. That's what it seemed to him when he read the Psalms. And then in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, he, uh, he, he talked about how he realized, the day that he realized where he was wrong. And this is what he said. Uh, most of this quote will not be on the screen, so I'll, I'll read a portion of it. And he said, but the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment sponta spontaneously overflows into praise. 
The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers, their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdity denying to us as regards the supremely valuable what we delight to do what indeed we can't help doing about everything else we value, meaning the, the result of, of what we value is, to, is praise. That's the response. And he, and he concludes by saying, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is, uh, it, it is its appointed consummation. Right? Like how many of you shouted at the end of a game? Or... Uh, you know, like, you know, like this Saturday we had our, our Kempo belt ceremony here and my sensei was watching one of the uh, young girls, she's very gifted, um, do her form and she's uh, level three in, in Kempo and she like nailed it and he, he, I think it was him, he, he, he's like, woo, you know, like, he, it, and everybody in that room were like, wow, you know, like, we wanted to stand up and applaud. Why? Because, because the joy that we're, we experience is completed when we praise what we, what, you know, what we celebrate, what, what gave us joy. Well, the psalmist is doing the same thing. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Say to God, in verse 3, say to God, how awesome are your deeds. How great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. Like, you are awesome. You are mighty. Sing the, glor sing the glory of his name. Um, I'm convinced that you and I, the we, are made for joy. We are made for joy. If you, like I said, if you've been coming to Meadowbrook for, for any, more than, any longer than a month, you hear me talk about this a lot. We were made for joy. And that joy is discovered only through a personal relationship with the God of all creation. And, um, and the, but there are two types of joy, of joy seeking in the in the world. There is the secular joy seeking, which is anybody want to take a stab at it? What do we call it? Hedonism, or pleasure seeking, uh, to seek pleasure at all costs, uh, regardless of you know your belief in God or not, that you're, it's a more of a self-centered seeking of joy. And then there is what John Piper coined as Christian hedonism. I read his book, uh, Desiring God, a long time ago, and it had a profound influence on my life. But he said this of Christian hedonism. He said, there are five convictions that clarify what it is, and I'll have, I have them on the screen here. And this is what it is. The longing to be happy is a universal human experience, and it is good, not sinful. Your desire to be happy is a good thing. God put that in you. And it's not a sinful thing. Uh, secondly, we should never try to deny or resist our longing to be happy as though it were a bad impulse. Instead, we should seek to intensify this longing and nourish it with whatever will provide the deepest and most enduring satisfaction. And three is this. The deepest and most enduring happiness is found only in God. Not from God, but in God, through a relationship in Him. And then fourth, the happiness we find in God reaches its consummation when it is shared with others in the manifold ways of love. Like in his book, he kind of each chapter is 
you know, uh, he, he tries to demonstrate how, how you can seek your pleasure in God and the overflow of that is a joy that you can experience in marriage. Uh, his last, I think it's the last chapter in the book is on suffering. That even in suffering you can experience this joy that we were made for that is rooted in God. And then fifthly, he says, to the extent that we try to abandon the pursuit of our own pleasure, we fail to honor God and love people. Or to put it positively, the pursuit of pleasure is a necessary part of all worship and virtue. That is, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Like we were made for God. The Psalms are unapologetic about that. We were made to know God. We were made to be known by him. And, then, and, and through that is where we experience the kind of joy that God uh, means for us. You've heard me say that that is why the Bible is not God's method to kill or wreck your joy. The Bible is God's method of maximizing your joy. Like, you, you want to know why the Bible says you should wait until you're married to, 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 to experience sex. Why? Because he wants to kill your joy? No, he wants to maximize it. Like you should not lie. Is that so that, you can kill you, that God wants to kill your joy? But no, he wants to maximize your joy. And so the way the psalm breaks down is in the, in the first seven verses, this, the psalmist begins with, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Why? Why do I want to shout to God uh, out of the joy and abundance of my heart? Why? why? Because, of, because he redeemed his people. He rescued his people. God is a God who chases after sinners, and he rescues them, and he redeems them. That's the first seven verses here. Come, verse 5, and see what God has done. So verses, the first four verses, look at God. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies you know, come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. What is the response to this God? What is the appropriate response? Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. What is he talking about there? The Exodus. When God parted the sea and rescued them from, the, from Pharaoh and, and his pursuing army or soldiers. He said, um, he turned the sea into dry land and they passed through the river on foot. What is he talking about there? Well, when God used Joshua to lead Israel or lead the Hebrew people through uh, the Jordan to the promised land. That's what he's talking about. Why did he mention it in, in this psalm? Why does that give us reason to shout for joy to God? Not just us, but all the earth? Because God is a God of redemption. He is the only one that can rescue you from the slavery of your own sin. He is the only one that can turn your world around in a permanent and lasting way. Isaiah 43, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43 says something very similar. He says, but now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, 
you shall, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I what? I love you. You want to know why I redeemed you? You want to know why I delivered you? Here's why. I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. And then Isaiah concludes, that chapter comes to a conclusion with these words in verse 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake, and what? I will not remember your sins, or I will remember your sins no more. That's the gospel. Like, the the. God of Genesis is the same God of the book of Revelation. You want to know the character of God and how he, if he were, you know, on foot, on planet Earth right now, how he would function, how he would interact with you, how he would interact with me, just read all four Gospels in the New Testament. What we see Jesus do is who God is. Which leads me to the second point. Not only were we made for joy, a joy that is rooted in and found in God alone, and the expression of that is our, is our horizontal relationships with one another. That's why Jesus said, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? They were trying to trip Jesus up, and he said, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, the, the, but the second one is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The appropriate response to our vertical relationship with God is our horizontal relationship. Like, like another way to put it is that the overflow of our vertical relationship with God is seen through our horizontal relationships with one another. If your horizontal relationships are a mess, it's because it, your, your vertical relationship with God is a mess. If you cannot love your neighbor, then you truly do not love your God. So we were made for love. The point that Psalm 66 is making is found in, in the final verse, in verse 20. Look, look at what it says. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his, his steadfast love from me. That is, that is his covenantal love. That is his, that is his unfailing love. Um, he has not removed his steadfast love from me. Why? Why will I bless the Lord? Because, because I've experienced his steadfast love that's unfailing. Like there's a verse in the Bible, even when we are faithless, he is faithful. You know, I, I, I shared my, a line from my favorite hymn last week. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Well, guess who's not leaving me? God. John chapter 10 says, you know, Jesus said, all who are mine are in my hand, and they belong to my Father, and nobody will snatch them out of his hand. So we were made for love. We were made to experience the love of God, and we were made to, exp we were made to love one another in community. Verses 8 through 20. In, in the, verse 9, I mean, verse 8 says, you know, bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. You, O oh God, have tested us. 
You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads when we went through the fire and through water. Yet, yet, you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Do you know what he's saying there? That's what I love about the Psalms. What I love about the Psalms is they are honest about, about the life that we experience. They're on, the psalmist, you know, David isn't the only one who wrote the psalms in here. He wrote most of them. There are other contributors. But the psalms are honest about what faith looks like with, in the midst of a world that is cursed. You know, um, you tested us, he said. You tried us. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You, you know what these verses say? Like your pain and your suffering is not random. Like God does have a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> but that plan may include some significant pain. I, this, this week I visited two people. So I visited Jack, who's in the upper 80s, 90s, I don't know the, his exact age. He's dying of cancer. He's at home on hospice. Um, Shirley attends Meadowbrook. You know, she, she's usually here. She's caring for her husband. He suffered a stroke not, some time ago, so cognitively he's not all there. And um, not completely aware of what's happening. All that he knows is he's dying, he's in pain, and he wants it to end. And so uh, uh, Brian and I, Brian's our youth pastor, we, we visited with him, and, and um, he, Jack asked me the question. He asked me, so is there going to be pain? You know, with it or after this? I think he asked, is, is there going to be pain after this? And I said to him, I said, Jack, if your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ, if you placed your faith and trust in him, if he is your Savior, then this is as bad as it gets. There will be no pain on the other end of this, at the, end of, uh, at the other end of this. And so he lifted up his arm like this. He was laying in a recliner, and he's, yes. <laughs> and then I visited uh, Cliff yesterday. Cliff, is, Cliff and Bonnie, they host one of the life groups. You know, we believe strongly in life groups, small groups. They host one of them. A little, I guess just about four weeks ago, Cliff um, got COVID. And Cliff has been on a ventilator with a feeding tube since then. And uh, last Monday was a good day. Cliff opened up his eyes. He was able to squeeze his wife's hand. I got a text message yesterday where his lungs are not distributing oxygen to his body properly. And so it's not looking good for Cliff right now. When I read Psalm 66 and I read these verses, like verses 10 through 12, it's not the promise that God is going to keep us from pain, but it is the promise that he will preserve his people even through it. There's a commentator who reflected on these verses. His name's Gerald Wilson. He said this. He said, we sometimes think that God's power can only be displayed when we live charmed, painless lives of abundant goodness. Such a perspective inhibits us from 
talking honestly and openly about the failures, struggles, hurts, and attacks that characterize our lives. But this is not the path the psalmist takes, or most of the biblical witnesses. For that matter, Abraham and Moses, Paul and Peter are all strongly aware, or str- yeah, strongly aware that it is in their weakness that the power of God is made known. I, you know, if you're th- thinking, well, Psalm 66, that's the Old Testament. How about the, how about the New Testament? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. I prayed in that room, in the hospital room, as I laid my hand on Cliff, I prayed that God's power would be displayed for all the doctors to see and that he would heal Cliff. His sister was there. His sister shared with me, she said, because for those of you who don't know, Shortly after they got COVID, shortly after Cliff picked, and Bonnie picked up Cliff's mom to, for her to live with them, when he got, the whole family got COVID, well, he and Bonnie got COVID, and then his mom got COVID. Not long ago, his mom died because of COVID. And so his sister was in the room, and she said, you know, it was hard with mom dying, but this is not supposed to happen. This is not supposed to happen. And I think the Bible would say, no, this is not natural. Like, COVID is not natural. Shutdowns are not natural. But it is the result of a world that is cursed. And one day, God is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And on that day, we'll be like, the experience that we will have and that we will enjoy will be that like calves being released from the stall. Verse 13, what is the psalmist's response to even the difficult stuff? Where he say, he points to God. Like, that's the other thing I love about the psalms. The psalms are not interested in trying to get God off the hook to make him seem more palatable, like some of these prosperity preachers. <laughs> like, God does not intend for most of his people to have a large bank account and a big house. The one who we follow, Jesus Christ, didn't have a home or a pillow to put his head on. And the psalmist says, I will come into your house. In light of all that, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fat animals with the smoke of, of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. You know what he's saying there? He's saying from, from, the, from, the, from the cheapest of sacrifices to the most expensive, which was a bull, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to lavish my worship you know, before you because you are the God who sustains your people. You love your people. Even though your plans might not line up with my plans, your plans are good because you are good. You are good. Like I know that if Cliff does not survive, that nothing has changed about the character of God. Nothing will have changed about the character of God. He's still good. 
He is still good. I don't understand why some things happen, but he's good. So verse 16, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. That's his response. In this world of trouble, you, you want to you experience joy? Well, you're not going to find it in the world primarily. You will find it in God. And the overflow of that is experienced through our, you, you, it can be expressed through our relationships with one another. I said this in the first service. The most forgiving, most joyous, most celebratory group of people on planet Earth should be the church. Should be the church. I, I don't know if there's any going back for our world. I don't think there's any reset button. I don't want to sound like a pessimist, but I don't think it's going to get any better. I don't care who's president of the United States. I don't think there's any going back. But that doesn't mean that has to be true for the church. We are the people of God. We are one family. Clothed, clothed under, the, uh, under the blood of Jesus Christ. Belonging to the same tribe, regardless of our ethnicity. We belong to him. And in concluding, and the ushers, you can um, distribute the communion cup as I uh, wrap this up, but, the, but, but what the psalmist points out throughout this psalm are a few things. One, notice how carefully he chose his words. Shout for joy, in verse 1, all the earth. <laughs> Not just some of the earth. He doesn't say shout for joy while you're in your living room. Shout for joy, all the earth. All of us, collectively, together, Verse 8, bless our God. Not my God, but our God, O peoples. And in verse 16, come and hear all you who fear God. I got one, thank you. Um, come and, 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 and hear all you who fear God. We were made to experience a joy and love in God, not just individually, but corporately. Our relationship with God is not intended to be experienced in the quietness and solitude of a room, although there are seasons for that, and there is a time for that, but it's also meant to be experienced and expressed together. And the other point that the psalmist is making is, and this is what speaks into John Bastide's song, in this world, there are a lot of problems. But what we need is the steadfast love of a God who will not let us go. He will not let us go. There's this passage, I've shared it a while back. I, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's in Zephaniah. And uh, let's, this is, even God sings. And I, let's, let's read this together. You ready? The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his what? His love. And he will exult over you with loud what? Singing. That is the God who redeems his people and that is the God who preserves his people. There are three scripture passages as you prepare 
to celebrate communion with me. There are three, three scripture passages I want to turn your attention to. And um, these kind of serve, I was thinking about this yesterday, these serve as kind of God's anvil, like the verdict, you know, it is decreed. This is a done deal. This is what God thinks of you, and this is what he thinks of me. Let's read these together. Ready? This is the first one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's go to the next one. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. And then third, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. God loves you. If, you're, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, listen, God loves you. If you're here or watching the live stream and you've never done that, you're just trying to figure out the Christian faith, you're trying to figure out who Jesus is, the Bible says that um, you don't have to earn your way into heaven, you don't have to do anything to get into heaven, but what you do need to do is that you need to receive the free gift of, of salvation that he offers to you through his son. You don't have to know, have all your theological questions answered, but you do need to come to terms with this reality, that Jesus lived a life that we can never live, a perfect life, on your behalf and on my behalf. And he went to a cross that you deserved and I deserved, and he experienced the wrath of God on that cross for your sins and for my sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the grave. The Bible says if you believe that, if you believe that, not just in your head, but in your heart, you will be saved that you will go from being a child of the devil, that Bible actually uses that language, to being a child of the living God. You will go from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. And uh, the Bible says that when that happens, there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from his love. Nothing. Nothing. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus held up the bread in the upper room hours before he would be betrayed and then crucified. And he said this bread is my body, and it's broken. It's going to be broken for you. I'm going to go to a cross, and I'm going to die in your place. And every time you come together, I want you to be reminded of the great love that God the Father has for you, and I also want to be you to be reminded of, of what brings you together. That you are brothers and sisters in Christ. You are covered under the blood of the Lamb. That your team colors are the same, red, and your tribe is the same, the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. So every time you come together, I want you to eat this bread in remembrance of me. So let's do that together. In a book um, titled Sing, um, Keith and Kristen Getty, who they've written some modern-day hymns, said this of the church. said, For the church has been, is, and always should be, and can be a joyfully singing church. In a sense, singing is part of what we exist to do. Like I said, we should be the most celebratory, happiest people on planet Earth. That doesn't mean we have a smile all the time. 
But it does mean that when things don't go our way and we're in a hospital room and we're not sure how things are going to turn out for our friend or for our dad or for our mom, um, that there's a God who will not let us go. And so Jesus held up the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. What was he saying? He's saying, the promise in the Bible that God will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, that promise that he would circumcise your heart and enable you to love him and to keep his commandments or to obey his commandments, I'm going to make that possible. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to shed my blood. And every time, every time you gather together, I want you to be reminded of who you are, what it means to follow me, and what brings you together. So let's take this cup and drink together. We sing a song that is the story of how God rescued and redeemed sinners through his son. What we sing is the reality of a God who is for his people, and he loves his people, and uh, he, will, he will never let them go, even when they are standing on the ashes of racial injustices or a pandemic, regardless of how you feel about all that. He will never let you go. And what we sing is the promise that God will make all things new. There's coming a day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And, um, and when that happens, there will be no more death. There will be no more disease. There will be no more crazy, wacky politicians. <laughs> there will be uh, one king, <laughs> Jesus, and, um, and he will wipe away all of our tears and make all things new. Amen? That is the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room and watching on the live stream. God, I, I thank you for what you're doing in and through Meadowbrook, and not just through Meadowbrook, but so many churches in Cheyenne and Wyoming and around this nation. You are, you are doing uh, an amazing work through, through your people. God, bring us together. May the world see us and see how, how it is possible for people who might, not, who might not agree on everything can love one another, can love one another and not vilify each other, can come together because of what brings us together ultimately, and that is, that is our faith in your son Jesus. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.